0: Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Daemonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul
1: Frederick.
0: No vision and grasp. All right, well, hello, friends and fellow Damons, and welcome to another episode of Daemonosophy 2.0. Today, I have a very special guest, Mr. Coyote the Blind. He's a performance artist working in an improvisational art form known as The Telling. He was exiled from El Salvador, and he's also an initiate of the Astra margentum and he has a new book out called Golden Flower, Toltec Mastery of Dreaming and Astral Voyaging. Coyote, welcome. Hey, how are you, Paul? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm honored to be here, man. Awesome. I'm honored to have you. So, um, so we met last year um, yeah. in, April in April at the Flambeau at the, at Noir. The, I-
2: Yes, the black flame. Right,
0: Flambeau Noir in uh, in Portland, and we were both speaking there. Um, and I remember, I just need to, I just need to um, backtrack on this a little bit. I recall very, very, very vividly uh, when you came to give your presentation. Uh, I came and sat up there in the audience because we talked a little bit beforehand, and I was, I was really intrigued. And I sat and I watched what was going on, and you came out and you started. You started talking, and uh, you know, sort of like uh, you know, t- taking us on this like sort of story kind of journey, um, and it was like one of the most powerful things that I that I I, I feel I probably saw at that whole gathering, um, and and it, it, it's so vivid when I look back on it now, when I think about it, it's like I have visual memories of like that that just had to be some of the things you were talking about. I have visual memories of people. You know dancing around naked on hills and um you know fire and all kinds of stuff like that, and this was just all of your doing and, and and I had no idea what it was about, so now circling back now and talking with you a little bit more, it sounds to me like this is what you call the telling that's right and so could that's you tell right. us a little more about what what this is all about well,
2: it's um really it's all about ah uh, what what I can What I conceive as a Toltec art, Mm -hmm. the whole the whole deal of the Toltec uh, mystics, the Toltec magicians is that is that the uh, the artist is engaged in in mastering uh, their own perception. And so the the art, as we engage, is about is not about making a statement, is not about uh, making beauty is not about entertaining, uh, not even about teaching. It's, uh, it's a way of mastering one's perception to enter a different space. And uh, the, the telling was based on a very old old tradition that I encountered back in El Salvador before the war. There was a civil war in El Salvador, 12 years. Uh, and before the war, uh, I, I witnessed, and my father witnessed, and his father before him, a uh, group of uh, people, lonely people, called the Locos, the Locos, Los Locos. Uh, it would be a solitary hermit coming into town, right, and all the children would start running around the street calling all the other children, a loco, 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 you know, a crazy man, a, crazy, a madman, a madman. And so the madman would come to the to a big tree in the center of the town and he would just sit there and and children would gather maybe the drunk town the town drunk would sit there too and uh and he would tell stories right crazy stories about where he had been for the last two months Uh, talking about going up a volcano and surviving by eating the stones, because up in the volcano, the stones were not hard. They were made of uh, bread stuff. And, and so he would just entrance us with crazy stories like that. I remember one very vividly. It's, um, it was about uh, how he got into the habit of washing his eyes every every night before going to sleep he would he said you know that that was his story he would take off his eyeballs and wash them on the river to cleanse his soul from everything he had seen that day. put them back on and then go to sleep to start a new day in the morning but one day he said to me i put him on backwards and when i put him on put him on backwards then, instead of seeing the night sky outside, I started seeing my own head. And I saw thunder and colors and galaxies. Training trained until I realized what I had done. But by then, he said it was too late. Then I realized that I was no longer looking at the world. It was the world looking inside me. And then he describes this whole psychotropic trip. Uh, the These locos come from a, a tradition that was present before the Spaniards came to this land. Sure. Yeah, and that was my encounter with Toltec art. And so when I do a telling, it begins like that. Uh-huh. It begins with the sound that makes so that the infinite speaks through me. My only job is to step aside and let and let that uh, emptiness, that darkness, take over and use any of the things that are here in my in my subconscious, in my personality, in my mind, and, and flow out. So
0: that's, that's amazing. So let me ask: when you um, were seeing, when you were young and you were seeing these lo- uh, the locos come through, is that is that pre? War, or is that during the time when there's like conflict going on in El Salvador? It happened in,
2: in both ways. They they transmuted. The, before the war, they were still going from town to town. Once the war took over, they disappeared. You know, they, maybe they were killed, maybe they couldn't continue. But I would encounter one on and off when walking in the street in the middle of the conflict. Uh, I remember one clearly. I was—I um, must have been 12 or 13. I was walking to uh, to my school, and there was this guy leaning against the wall, <laughs> and okay. and we started talking. I, I I was used to talking to strangers. I I always talk to strangers, and I never keep my hands to myself. And uh, he said. Um, you know, he asked me where I was from, what I was doing, all of that. And when I asked him where he was from, he said, Well, I'm from the moon. And I said, bullshit. You're not from the moon. He said, Yeah, I just came from the moon. And uh, and we started that dialogue. And, and I say, you're lying to me. And he said, No, I'm not lying to you. I can prove to you that I'm from the moon. All right, prove it, I said. And he said, Alright, climb this wall, he said the wall he was leaning on, climb this wall. And throw yourself head first. (laughs) Throw yourself, and you won't be harmed. And I said, I'm not crazy. If I throw myself like that, I'm going to crack my head open. He said, No, you won't because, you know, I will save you. He said, No harm will come to you. And I said, Well, but what if you're lying? He said, Well, he said, if, if I'm lying, and you hit the ground with your head, and you die, I will bring you up again because I am from the moon. Okay. <laughs> and uh, as soon as he said that, I started to laugh, and he took one step. He moved one leg out, and this is what happened in my in my consciousness. Right? I saw his leg getting long, long, and he become became elongated, impossibly long, and the whole and time seemed to stop. And this sound came to my brain, the eeeh, and then I don't remember anything. I just just went to school, came back, and didn't think about it at all. Until years later, years later, I was um, I was electrocuted at some point. And in the when when this electrical current was running through me. I had the vivid memory of coming back into this incarnation as if I had taken a misstep and fallen. As if I had fallen, uh, I had this clear sensation of being some sort of cosmonaut and, and being trapped in this uh, biological nerv- nervous system, right, and then I remember falling headfirst into existence and at the same time i remembered falling as a child leaning over a rail in my house and falling into hard cement and cracking my head open i asked my mom if that had ever happened to me and she said well it wasn't it wasn't out on the street he said but one time you did fall head first from your crib and the floor was was hard cement at the time because they were tiling the house so i leaned over my crib and apparently i did fall down crack my head open and and so all the smells and all the all all of that came together in that moment and i couldn't help but wonder at the end of this ordeal if if i had actually uh, thrown myself uh, head first somewhere into existence and and the whole lifetime comes together in one in one swoop. Yeah. So this this type of thing happened another one I met, I wanted to tell you about this. It was during a massacre. This was nineteen eighty-nine. I was fourteen. There was a, there was two hundred thousand people marching down the street, the long line going all the way from Outside the city limits, to the central plaza where the cathedral is and the and the government palace, uh, they were chanting. They were. It was a big uh, movement of hope, where all the sectors of the country were coming together in a coordinated effort and. Uh, the the new left was uh, was uh, was coming up at the time and i was there seeing everybody chanting you know the people united will never be defeated and all those things a revolutionary fervor and all that all of a sudden in this peaceful march from a government building they opened the windows and soldiers started shooting at, at people right and i was i was there with my dad and my older brother i saw my dad falling my brother grabbed me by the arm and we start running in the zigzag and people are falling everywhere and we're jumping over children with bloody shirts and you know a a whole mess of things and we my brother had some he was like five years older than me and he already had some training uh, from the guerrillas and we He took me safely to uh, this spot behind a tree. This is in a a huge parking lot, right? Mm -hmm. There was a tree with a cement barrier around, a very small one, probably about uh, two feet high. And so we were there on the floor, and that was just a a stop. We were about to go somewhere else after that, but I was there, and... I, you could feel the, the bullets hitting the barrier and and little uh, uh, little pieces of cement falling on my head. Mm-hmm. And I I saw the image of my dad falling. I thought he had been shot and, and killed. And I, I was crying, right? I was uh, 14 years old. I was crying. There was this young man in front of me. Uh, he must have been probably, uh, he looked like he was about my brother's age, you know, that, that, that 18, 19 year old kid. And he looked at me have big clear eyes and, and he said to me, hey, compañero, he said, why, why are you crying? And his question was so calm, he startled me, you know, who asked you why you're crying in the middle of a massacre like
1: mm-hmm. that?
2: <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I... I you know, I, I wanted to say because I think they killed my dad. Because I'm afraid I'm going to die. Because I, I don't know. And but he was calling me. He just said to me, "Don't cry." He said, "This, this is this is no reason to cry." And I just stared at his face. And he said to me, "Look, look, compañero." I said, "Look, compañero." He said, "We might die today. You know, in in a couple of hours we may die or we may survive. We don't know that." But if we die, so what? These are your last moments. Use them well. Mm. Use them. Don't cry. Mm. And then my brother tugged at my arm and he said, Hey, do you see that car over there? Yeah. When I counted three, we're going to run over there. Okay. So he counted one, two. He was measuring the shots from the from the soldiers when he said three we run we got behind the car i don't know what happened to that guy i don't know what happened but there was uh, there was one one girl uh and uh and two more guys so there were five of us in that behind behind this jeep so the minutes went by the soldiers kept shooting there, there were pauses and whenever someone would tried to run they would shoot at them we didn't know what to do we were out in the open and we knew that probably in an hour or so they would come down and they would start shooting people one by one you know the shot of grace we called it
0: and this is this is the government at that time there this is the government powers that that be there
2: yeah okay the the us-backed government yeah The proper at government. the time fighting, fighting communism right, right? The, the, the threat of communism and godlessness <laughs> that's sweeping the world and uh you know we were staying there we we thought there was nowhere to go you know we couldn't run because they shoot us we couldn't stay there because they would come down and shoot us and i was laying down in the concrete i was i was i started feeling my my uh, uh my the uh, what do you call that that bone that is right above your foot uh, that um the heat uh, above the heel ankle the ankle thank you yeah feeling my ankle swelling and, and pulsating like this i looked at it and there was I had been grazed by a bullet, right? Wow. My shoe and my sock was off, I was bleeding a little bit, and my, my leg was letting me know this and and my senses were all saturated with what was happening. I smelled blood, I smell adrenaline, the heat from the Salvadoran cement. And uh, and and I lay down and there was this smell and, and screams of death, right? And above, I saw the clearest, uh, bluer sky I had seen in my life. A few clouds on the horizon, peaceably floating around. And all of a sudden, I, I feel the contrast of heaven and hell. And I wonder, the thought came to me, how can this be? How can how you dare have that peaceful sky when there is all this Mm -hmm. hell down here and almost as immediately i realized that no one was doing this to me that that i was the one holding within myself heaven and hell that it was all part of my consciousness and like a flash Because of the eyes of that young man who told me about this moment of death, it all came together and, and I don't know where it came from, but I knew what to do. And I told my brother and the other people, this is what we're going to do. I will, I'm I'm going to stand up, raise my hands and walk. And then the, the girl should follow. And then the, the young man should follow in a single line, arms up, walking slowly, not running. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, no one questioned me, right? So we all did that. And I stood up and (laughs) remember I lift my hands and I feel this void behind me and I know that someone's looking at me and deciding whether to shoot or not. I start walking and no one shoots at us. We walked away two blocks and then we were free and safe. So that lesson stayed with me forever. Mm-hmm. And I consider this man one of the, the locos who can alter reality with their words. And when it came time, I realized that that's my art. And wow. That's what I do.
0: That's amazing. So to try and kind of uh, put this in perspective a little bit, you said uh, 1989, you're 14 years old. And i and I have to think back myself. Uh, what was sorry? I spoke. It was, it was
2: 1979.
0: It was right before 79. Okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. So that's why I'm trying to. I'm trying. said 89. I'm trying yeah. to put it in perspective, um, yeah. because so my knowledge of El Salvador from that time period. I mean, night. You know, um, you know, 1986 is when I graduated from high school. You know, so I was mm-hmm. like. You know, seven, 17 years old in 1986, somewhere somewhere around in yeah. there. And so, you know, I, I heard about El Salvador from, you know, the propaganda on the news and didn't really have much, you know, didn't really know what right. any of it meant. Um, right. I heard about it in, there's a Dead Kennedy song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a Dead Kennedy song, El Salvador, Afghanistan, um, you know, so... So um, I, I had a sense of like uh, the the problems of American intervention. But when you talk about the war in in El Salvador, is there is it, it, what was that war? Was there like was it a series of conflicts over time? Because I remember like largely like throughout the eighties, I want to say early seventies, right up into the early nineties, there's like conflict conflict going on in in. El Salvador. So how do, you, how do you perceive that? When you say the war well, there, what does that mean? It
2: was, it was, um, it was an effort to, uh, to create a different society. It was an effort to create a society that was just, equal. It was an effort to create democracy in, mm-hmm. in a land that has been dominated by the military since the 1930s when a, a military dictator killed uh, 40,000 Indians, uh, making all the tribes of El Salvador to retreat and to avoid speaking their language, uh, singing their songs, dressing the way they dress. They all had to pretend not to be Indians. Kill the culture, right? Right. And, uh, and this, uh, this right-wing government had been in place uh, supported by 14 families. There were 14 families that owned the country, owned the land, owned the means of production, owned everything. There was an effort to create a democracy that the U.S. pretty much was stamping down at every turn because they would rather have a military ally that is committed to protecting uh, U.S. corporations than to protect than to helping their population right so the 1980s uh at the beginning of the 1980 Carter was uh, voted out uh, Ronald Reagan comes in I remember in the Colonia Escalón, that was the uh, the place where the all the rich people were uh, they were celebrating that night uh, shooting in the air because now they could uh uh, they could do whatever they wanted you know, with the backing of of uh, the military, the U.S. military, the CIA, and all of that. The repression got stronger. They uh, they created death squads, which was um, paramilitary operatives that would kidnap, torture uh, as a means to cause fear in the population. Mm-hmm. So that massacre that I was telling you about was one of the last ones that they had right before they killed the Archbishop of El Salvador, Monsignor Romero, who's now Saint Romero. Uh, he was just canonized the last year. Uh, that, that was one of the last events before civil war broke out. And so guerrillas organized themselves and started fighting. Uh, the U.S started increasing the military operation, spending about $1 million a day
1: yeah.
2: for for 12 years. And that's when you had uh, Reagan and Oliver North do this Iran Contra deal, yeah. you know, where that pretty much opened the drug markets into the poor cities of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we're still paying for that, yeah. for that all the the gangs in El Salvador—they didn't—they didn't start in El Salvador. They started here in in LA and Washington. From all the kids who were born here, who were exiled, who had no access to culture, no access to the language, you know? and then they were sent back by George Bush, and they—they they just took over mm. the crime, the street crime, and all that. So a lot of the ills that we have now, and a lot of the fears that we have of an open border and all that come from uh all this military intervention yeah that has not allowed latin america to create their own democracy to create their own freedom to create their own path yeah we're paying for that
0: right now i always look at um the 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 one thing you can bank on with government intervention is that it's like, it's like the Hydra, right? It's like Hercules and the Hydra. It's like every head that gets cut off, two more grow grow back. And there's always a, um, there's always a repercussion, you know, that yes. that comes back later. And, you know, you, you, you name some really good examples there right now. But um, I mean, we could go back and look at all of the so-called problems that we have going on right now. And it's easily traceable back to uh, inter- government intervention or um, you know American exceptionalism going over to uh, foreign places um, where no one asked them to and creating yeah. problems so yeah. um, and, and and you know, you know, the, you know every solution you know, that they have for it is just going to create like another problem that then they yeah. have to justify several years down the road so
2: yeah absolutely right there's only one way to kill the hydrant and it's through the heart mm-hmm through the heart, and the heart of the heart of it, the heart of this monster is the artificial <clears throat> division. is the is the big lie. Okay, the, the big lie is that is that we are we are uh, separate individuals that were separated by class, that were separated by gender, that were separated by race, by the color of the skin. By the language we speak, by the the, the deity we worship, all of that—that's a big lie. And so, if if you believe that this, that a country is real, that being American makes you different than being Guatemalan or uh, Ethiopian, that that being white makes you different than all the other races, that being Christian is a thing—they're all Projections of the mind, and the only, the only true strike that you can make is to the big lie and go to the bottom of things. And is that, you know, as as the book of the law says, every man and every woman is a star. Mm-hmm. And there's no difference mm-hmm. between that. So, so the art that I engage in tries to live that truth and create a transformation in the moment without dogma without uh without division without separation that is artificial it it is called the it has been called the sound that makes because as as it is happening you are experiencing the the words that are being said
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and uh and there is a direct Transformation. It is what um, it is. A moment of uh, of immediacy. There, there is no no storyline to get in the way. There is no. It's it's just words that immediately create a world around you. And when it's over, it's all gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's being it's being in the moment. Being in the moment.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And nothing remains. Other than your perception that shifted in the moment.
0: That's excellent. So, um, so, so, tell me then, when you got, so, how did you end up getting exiled, and at what point then did you come to um, come
2: to America? Uh, my my father was already in exile. He was um, he was being uh, hunted by death squads. So I stayed by myself. I, I wanted to finish my high school. I wanted to go to you know, to the university. Uh, I started studying philosophy there, and I volunteered. I I had a small study group uh, learning about magic and mysticism and yoga. I was uh, I was teaching yoga, but I also volunteered at a refugee center that the that the Jesuits had. There were about 3000 refugees from the war that were coming from outside and they had a, a problem. There were all these children that were getting no no schooling because they couldn't leave the compound. Right. To leave mm-hmm. the compound was to uh, was to getting was to get them killed. So I, I proposed a, a, a solution uh, with the with the uh, office of human rights, the international office of human rights in El Salvador, where I I, I gathered uh, the uh, some of the adults that had at least a third grade education, which meant they could read and they had elementary knowledge of mathematics, and I would train them in how to become teachers of school. so we created a makeshift school we had all the grades from kindergarten to to fifth grade and everybody was teaching there i mean the adults were teaching i was helping them create a curriculum so that the children could learn to read and write uh that was my job sometimes i had to stay over their sleep there with them overnight because there would be death squads operatives outside you know taking pictures of people living and all that yeah. at some point i became a target uh, you know i i had many things going against me i i had a jesuit education which makes you a suspect i i was studying philosophy at the university which uh, pretty much makes you a communist very, and I was su- very suspicious
0: yeah very <laughs> subversive <laughs>
2: And so I, I, I got hunted and, and I was close to uh, death and torture many times. So eventually I couldn't sustain it anymore. I had to leave the country, it broke my heart, did not want to come here at all. It was, uh, I was, I was being uprooted from the place where I felt my magic, my life, my history, my destiny was. And I had to come here, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, and uh. and not not I, I felt like a fish out of water. I felt my magic all gone. Sure. <laughs> uh, for five years, every day I wanted to go back. Uh, until I I made a life here. I, I I had children here. I had a family. I I grew roots. But it's not, it's not an easy move to make. And what, what year was that when you made the move? Uh, that was 1985. Okay. I came here in January of 1985. I was 19 years old. And I've been here since. I, I was able to learn some of the language. To uh, I, I got political asylum. Uh-huh. You know, I, only They were granting it to only 2% of the people requesting it. I became a US citizen, I became a philosopher, and uh, and here I am now, uh, trying to tell people that no, refugees don't come here to mooch, Right. <laughs> they don't come here <laughs> to steal your jobs, we don't come here to get, uh, you know, somehow we must be tremendous magicians, because at the same time, we are here to steal your jobs. Uh, and to get uh, and to get free benefits from the government without working, right. I don't know how we manage to do both, but we do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can assure you that most of the people coming here in these caravans they don't want to leave their their families and their places. Yeah,
0: uh, they, yeah. So I mean, so I live they, in I live in a part I, I live in a part of the country. I mean, I live in in, in Houston, Texas. So, I mean, there's uh, there, there, There's always been a very large and robust, um, you know, Latino uh, population in this er- area, and there's never been, in my experience, any kind of, um, any sort of problem or conflict. I mean, the way the, me- the media portrays that there's this just tremendous, like, conflict going on um, down here. And there's really want- not, there's really not at all. And I always felt, you know, not, we don't have to talk about the, you know, the, get really deep on the wall and and and, and that whole thing. But I mean, yeah. really, when this whole thing started coming up in the media, I mean, it just, it, it honestly felt like this is like 1980s type um, ideology yeah. that's being regurgitated about to make people afraid. Of something yeah. that's not really actually that big of a not not really that that large of a threat. You, and if it is a threat, it's simply because I mean all of the problems that emerge of this emerge from this largely come from uh, governments' intervention uh, mm-hmm. within it uh the way government inserts itself into the equation naturally ends up creating all of these problems whereas if it was just a case of like people like you know you know working together in communities and moving around and exchanging then you don't have these problems but
2: you know, you know
0: government Instead has to fear- create the problem so they can give a good reason for why they have to come in and fix it now for us you know
2: yeah well they they con- they want to control us by fear and you're 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 close to my age, uh, and and so you must remember that we went through the scare of communism. We went through the scare of uh, of um, uh, drugs, the scare of marijuana, the the scare of uh, Satanism, and, uh-huh. and, and and they they just create uh, bullshit yeah. uh, monsters that. Yeah that make uh, you know good white christians go oh my god everything is gonna go to hell we have to give up our rights yep. and our freedom yeah and here we are you know now now it's the now it's the refugees
1: uh-huh.
2: refugees are not terrorists refugees are the first victims of terrorism
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and a lot of third world countries have been suffering the terrorism of uh of the powerful nations,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we just want the freedom to live, love, and work. Yep. that's Yeah. That's Who could ask for yeah, anything let, more? Let, let go of fear. You know, we need to let go of all fear, and and know each other to be brothers and sisters, and
0: yeah,
2: create, co-create. Let's yeah, let's be artists. This is a revolution of artists. Yeah. That we are that we are heading artists philosophers thinkers lovers
0: yeah no, I agree uh, I agree a hundred percent fear is that they right now the, the the latest thing that's going through the media right now is the fear of uh, government government shutdown and they're trying to make us afraid that uh, the TSA, like we're gonna lose TSA employees, and they're they're trying to use that as a way of like frightening people. And I'm like, no, actually, that's awesome. That means we'd be able to like travel through airports like quickly and efficiently, and not be searched and harassed. I think that's a great idea. Let's like we should keep going that direction. You know,
2: it still hasn't down, down on us. We still have not realized what we gave up mm-hmm. during the Bush sons' era. You know, the fear of being attacked. Uh-huh. We gave up so much and we, we allow these policies of search without warrant, arrest without cause, yeah. as, as if that would keep us safe. It hasn't. And no matter who has been in the White House, they have continued yeah. to do that.
1: Right. It's not
2: a matter of Republicans and Democrats. It's a matter of covering up for um, uh, a monetary system that benefits a few. And these few would use anything to keep the population enslaved and to keep us economically dependent, ideologically dependent because they just make us fight for no reason. Yeah. Most human beings are decent.
0: Yeah.
2: Most human beings want to live and work together and respect each other. There are a few crises that have stupid ideas of supremacy and things like that. They will die down. That mm-hmm. we are we are seeing things in a better way, but they are they are delaying this era of enlightenment by making us afraid of each other.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Sorry, that's uh, I didn't plug this out. sorry about
0: that it's the man it's the man calling to stop us talking about this they heard that we we're like talking about this and and, and they, yeah, they're someone's trying to calling put a stop to it say,
2: you better hang up in this poll he's uh subversive <laughs> just look at his beard for god's sake <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, so so getting back to your story um when you came to america uh, you study you mentioned you studied philosophy. so did you uh, st- was that all in El Salvador or did you continue to study philosophy in uh, in a in, in western university when you came over here?
2: I continued here I I, studied, I had one year of uh, of study down in El Salvador uh, and I then here eventually I was able to get myself to Santa Clara University, uh, continue studying with the Jesuits. Got my BA, then went to uh, UCSD for graduate studies.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I completed a master's degree in uh, philosophy and cognitive sciences. Okay. Um, yeah, I was in the PhD program, and I did everything but write my dissertation. So that's the step that was missing. But by then, my my sights were elsewhere. I met my I met my um, Toltec. Uh, Benefactor is
0: uh-huh.
2: an uh, an Indian named Kachora. He's 104 years. He just turned 105, actually. Wow. Years old. So he taught me. Uh, I, I trained with him for a few years. I joined the Abbey of Elima in in San Diego also, and and since then on I I let go of the of the need to get my PhD and work in academia, and I. I became an artist since then
0: Uh uh-huh excellent so um so you have a you got a master's in philosophy yes so I got to ask you Plato or
2: Aristotle Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well the pre-socratics I go for you know oh
0: okay Yeah. So that's Nietzsche. That that takes you in the direction of Nietzsche. I think Nietzsche was the big uh, pre-Socratic, yeah, pre-Socratic guy.
2: for for Nietzsche, Heidegger. Yeah. Uh, It's. uh, I I think what they what they did Plato, Aristotle is is a great thing. They they were trying to grasp the immensity of reality with uh, with thought. Mm-hmm. and it's good to create that kind of discipline we wouldn't have science without that but you have to recognize the futility of of the thinking center when it comes to truly understanding mm-hmm. the world it's, it's a great tool but it's not it is not the right receptacle
1: mm-hmm. it,
2: you have to learn to silence the mind. And actually, philosophy is really good at that. Mm-hmm. If you apply it right, mm-hmm. at coming to the end of thought. So the end of thought, the fullness of the heart. Then you have. Then you have. What Socrates asks in in Plato's Republic is how how can you become a good man? How can you become a, a good person? Right. And that's the beginning of philosophy. And 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 if you get lost in trying to just uh, outdo your opponent in argument you have lost it yeah your, the inquiry should be who am I and, and how do I how do I become a good person
0: right yeah no I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there I wanted to, um the Socratic dialogue model because I've known people over the years you you meet people who become really obsessed with this Socratic dialogue uh, format of uh, you know going into an argument and having a rational argument and logical proofs and, and all of this sort of thing. But I mean, this is kind of the problem of the, the, the thinking center, as you say, is um, it's, it's mostly bi- binary. It's largely formatory. It's like yes, no, true, false, uh, mm-hmm. right and wrong, and, 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 and it's either on or it's off. Sort of yeah. sort of thing, and it misses out on the on on third forces. It misses out on it misses out. It, it thinks it's better than the heart, um, but but even the heart alone is like well, kind of subject to passions and stuff like that. So there's like some sort of middle road of like tying these people together, and that's sort of a one of the deep levels in uh, deeper questions in esoterica. You always find um, people who are at the level of uh, um, you know sorcery will get very involved with this um, idea of, you know, well, you can't have the light without the dark and the push-pull and the duality model. Um, but I think it's kind of the deeper level of uh, esoteric inquiry, the deeper level of, of, of self-initiation is to begin to see like a, th- a third force or a reconciliation between the heart and the mind. And sometimes we... Uh, uh, focus on the on the body you know using like a sensation and stuff uh, using the, the the body as an anchor through meditation to kind of like rein these uh you know rein the the heart and the and, and the mind together but sometimes it's an internal an internal search like your um your your story about the the guy turning his eyeballs inside oh man that's yeah. p- powerful a very powerful
2: way of looking at it yeah no absolutely and the that's why, that's why in magic, in symbolic magic, you have the sword or the dagger to be the symbol of, of the mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
2: And, and as in that sim- symbol, you have to make your mind sharp, razor sharp. But use it to cut everything that is complex to be able to destroy all complexities. But that's all you can do mm-hmm. with that. The heart is more like the cup, ready empty and ready to receive what comes from above. And that which the mind cannot cut. Well, that stays in the cup. Yeah. All right. But it it requires an engagement with your own life. Engagement with books and with ideas. It's entertaining at first. But until you have you have engaged with all your blood in your own lived years you're not gonna get it you're not gonna get it your your lifetime is a collection of happenings a collection of events and as an artist you need to put it all together there is an architecture to your life and you have to place it all together uh, as uh, mold it as an artist to to create something that wasn't there before. Or what what most uh, uh, mainstream religions give you is somebody else's mold, as if everyone should look the same. Mm-hmm. And no, and you have to you have to get your hands dirty and. And, and grasp your own life, your own emotions, your own sensations, your own doubts, everything. And, and leave room for your own silence and, and then just put it together in a way that nobody else can put it together.
1: Yeah.
2: No one else can live your life for you. And that, that goes to what, what in, in, in magic is called your, your pure will. That's why only you can live it. No one else. No one else. Yeah. Then your life becomes a, a work of art that transforms not only you, but the world as well. Mm. Everyone you come in contact with mm. is touched by by that thing that you are, the, the artist in you.
0: So I heard in a, one of your podcasts, you said something about beings coming to tweak with our programming. So what is your, what are your thoughts about the origins of human consciousness?
2: Well, uh, you know, I, I think that in the, in the end, there is only one being, which is the universe itself. And and this, uh, this universe starts from pure sentience. It ends with the creation of, of matter. We've had like five, four generations of, of stars, and in the end, we have planetary existence, matter itself. Then, out of matter, you have this, uh, this incredibly uh, astute combination of, of molecules that create living beings, living creatures. They begin to combine each other into more complex individuals. At some point from that combination of life, you have something that can be considered to be a mind or uh, a way of creating a world where uh, that that is a representation of what is out there. When you come to the human mind, we all have this ability to create a world, a human world. Now, the world is not out there. Uh, what we have is a simulation of what is out there. There is no color outside of us. We we put color on things in our own brains. Uh, and other animals don't use color. We do. We have two eyes. Each one takes a different photograph. When the brain puts it together, then we create the impression of depth. So time, space, depth, color, and the way that we perceive the world, what we give importance to and what we don't, is, is learned. We, we teach each other through language and, and through behavior, through uh, movement and, and, uh, and, and society. We, we teach to create this world. So consciousness, consciousness did not emerge from matter, but mind did. Mind is a carrier of sentience. Mind is not sentience itself, the physical body is not the originator of sentience, but it carries mind. Sentience was first, before there was a physical universe. Hmm. There was sentience, and that is the true origin. So we are on our way back, We, we, we have once the, the physical universe is created, we start this path of return. Humans, the human being is uh is a necessary uh shock, it's it's an aiding factor for the universe to come to know itself in innovative ways. And the and the more variety of thought, religion
0: All right, so we were talking about um, the nature consciousness. of consciousness, yes.
2: Yeah, yeah I see that, um, I think it's a bit of an unorthodox view where uh, I see consciousness as predating matter or sentience to be exact, but mind emerging from matter uh mind in this case i conceive it as um, as as an act, as a principle of um coding archiving and and simulation of of uh, what is outside you know the world we perceive is created by the mind even how i perceive myself as created by the mind but it it's only they're inactive because uh, there is a consciousness that is perceiving this. Mm-hmm. I explore this a little bit further in the in the Golden Flower, the, the book on dreaming that you mentioned at the yeah. Beginning. Let's
0: talk. Let's talk about. It. Let's talk about your book.
2: Well, it's a whole uh, system or, or a whole teaching. Uh, it's, it's way way beyond the how do I get. Uh, uh, lucid dreaming or what can I do in my dreams or what do dreams mean uh, it's an actual yoga of dreaming or a, a encounter with the true self and a union with the universe through this uh, through this uh, this uh, engagement with perception and consciousness itself uh, Think of uh, of the universe as a as a as a multi-dimensional flower that is uh, both uh, unfolding and, and folding back at the same time. And so, in every every moment of experience, is a dream. Uh, every time that you're having a dream, you you really think that you're just having an experience. Right? Mm-hmm. It's only after the fact, when you find yourself in a different level of reality, that you look back and you say, oh, I had a dream back then. Even when in the moment you say, oh, this must be a dream, is because you have become aware of a, of a, 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 a more real reality uh-huh. that, that, that you belong to. And so you say, oh, okay, so this is a dream. And then you wake up in that dream, and every waking up, it's an emerging into a into a higher uh, level of reality.
0: So, do you think that there are? Uh, how how do you feel about the possibility of of praetor human intelligences having inter, interfered with human neurology? To um, encourage encourage consciousness, and or at the same time, even the possibility of individual, like uh, ind- individual interference, like Aleister Crowley talked about. You know, the two things Crowley would talk he'd talk about, like uh, you know, holy guardian angel, like the idea, which which perhaps goes back to like you know, Socratic pre-Socratic ideas about the daemon, a sort of an individual. Yeah sort of intervention so there's that question there's also the possibility is there a large was there a larger intervention that has to do with um you know like stanley kubrick 2001 that made monkeys come out and start using tools and stuff like that
2: yeah well um being a philosopher and a jesuit philosopher you (laughs) might learn to argue any point okay (laughs) but but from personal experience, I, I, I can say that I would be ignoring a rich part of myself if I were to say that there, there, is, there are no other beings out there that influence, because uh-huh. I, I have experienced them since I was a child, I had lived a life uh, with the spirit world. And, uh, and I have done a lot of work to connect with what has been called the demon, the Holy Guardian Angel, the, uh, and, and other entities that are not just non-human, but preter-human, as it were. In the end, I think that all of them are part of the same consciousness so in the end we are all the same no matter what level of evolution you have or what kind of mind you carry but there are certainly helpers out there that are committed to the evolution of humanity committed to guiding humanity into uh into a type of World and a type of thinking and a type of being that would encourage further evolution. At the same time, there are internal forces that are trying to drag us back into uh, into simian life, mm-hmm. okay. and we are we are in the middle of this too. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to go beyond where we are. And forces are trying to always drive us back to fear, to survival mode, and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. And all of that. Uh, there are... There have been encounters with uh, with a type of intelligence that I would definitely not consider to be part of my own uh, mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, I, have, I have done away with any type of dogma or belief, I have no use for beliefs, uh, for dogmas, uh, for religions, uh, and, 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 and still I have encountered these entities that have proven to me to be of a level of reality that I cannot encompass. With
0: my own mind, I, I feel like most of the um, the 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 monotheistic religions, most of the mass religions, the great religions, um, have have while when you if you dig around in them, you find like these ideas that that reflect this sort of understanding. There's ideas about angels and stuff like that. There's ideas about a you know a universal mind and 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 stuff like that. However they've largely become um, uh, tools of this force of mechanicalism and yeah. it doesn't actually lead people in that direction anymore. It leads people in a, in a direction of, like you said, a direction of, of, of fear and, and actually more in the S- simian level. So it, to me, there's always a distinction, like if I was going to talk about Christianity I have to make a distinction between the Christianity that people follow as a mass movement versus these ideas that there, we, we just have these fragments of, of, of ideas and only through really through personal experience, the sort of personal experience that, that you've been talking about, can someone begin to correlate these fragments of, of, of wisdom, say from the gospels. You can start to correlate these fragments with like your actual experience. But without and, and I think this is one of the things that that's lost with a lot of these systems is that it's meaningless without personal experience. The person actually has to go um, out you have to go out on your own as an individual and experience things and do it willfully you know in the in the thelemic sense and the and and you know Alister Crowley had this line from um his confessions where he says every man must cut his own way through the jungle. And so everyone mm-hmm. has to do that. And then these ideas of these, – these common ideas of, of praetor human intelligence, of a holy guardian angel, of a universal mind, of, of, of an internal universe – then all of a sudden these things become meaningful. But if you're just sitting in a classroom and you're being force-fed and, and told this is what you must believe and there is no alternative to it, 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 it has the opposite. It tends to have the opposite effect on, on people.
2: No, and, and when you don't have the actual experience, uh, when people don't have the actual experience, they, they fall prey to so much exploitation. And, and people telling you you have to believe this or you have to do it this way Or, this is what Crowley said you had to do, or even worse, like, oh, I am the Magus of uh, this line, and you have to do what I say, and you'll be expelled, and you'll have no contact anymore with your. Like, no, all that is crap. It Mm -hmm. doesn't, it it makes absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. In the first place, you are not just a human being who is trying to have. Uh, a sacred experience, a sacred life. You are the universe, being expressed in this uh, in this tiny package, right? But nothing can make you a god. You you are already one. It's just that the parts of you that are manifested here are not the real you yet. Mm-hmm. But you're working to make the inner as the outer, and the outer as the inner you're working to reflect through your game avatar the player and in that only you have the code only you know only you can do it only you can make it happen and then you can take all the stories all the sacred books all the people around you as examples guides as as uh, monitoring factors and all that but it had to it has to be done by you there is and no matter how beautiful the menu in a restaurant, the menu is never going to satiate your hunger. Mm-hmm. You have to taste the food, you have to take it in, to be nourished and to enjoy. All this all this experience, no matter from which religion, no matter from which path or from no path, is all the same and it's all available to any human being because we have produced it all. That's, that's why I like to think of it more in terms of art and science rather than dogma and truth. When something is presented to you as this is the way, this is the path, this is the teaching, then you get locked into the, okay, what about that other one? What about that other one? But if it's presented to you as an art form then you know that you have to create your own. It, it would be so silly to think, to argue over what kind of painting is real painting. What what is painting? Well, you you paint, right? Mm-hmm. You create music. No, but I I like rock, so rock is real music. Oh no 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 no, jazz is real music. Rock is not real music. Jazz is no, the classical is real. That would be silly, mm-hmm. right? It's it's all music, and and you can have preferences and perform and all that. So it is with magic and so it is with mysticism. You are the true instrument and you are the artist. Mm-hmm. So create.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Create. And and the audience, that's the key. That's that's the trick. If you're performing for someone else, then you have dragged down your art. Mm-hmm. You you perform for no one. You perform for the for the void Mm -hmm. and 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 that and 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 your and your whole life is your is your performance then uh you you either look outside as an artist to the audience or you look within to the creator so look within and create for that
0: so that's funny that's you answered one of the questions i I was going to ask when you uh gave your um um, the telling I was going to yeah. say, so what, so who, when you do that, who is that for? Is that for an audience? Is that for yourself? Is it for yeah. something
2: else? And, and yes. And that's, and that's one of the reasons I am called the blind, because in that moment, the, there is no audience. I'm, I'm not thinking for one moment, how does this sound? How do I look? What are they going to think of me? Are they mm-hmm. gonna like it? Are they getting bored? Are they getting this? It, it doesn't really matter because it's all one space, and I am just part of the space, like you are. And I am listening. I, I don't plan anything uh-huh. about it. I I don't have a script. I don't. It's a it's an act of removing myself from it. There is a dialogue with uh, with the angel the ally, as I call it, where it's an act of immediate creation, and I am as much audience as anyone else in this process. Wow. So, yeah, it is for someone else. And that shows the the path of the infinite pours out and, and fills the space, and everybody in it reacts to it.
0: And you are going to be presenting again you're going to be delivering the telling again this year in April right and at the Black it flame festival a... in Portland
2: that's correct and the, the the series that I'm working on right now uh, is uh, it's on the, the the lost city of chivalba uh, the last years was also part of the same series where I perform with another artist. So I have done I have done one with a, with a painter, one with a singer, one with a dancer, and so on. This time is going to be a group of musicians that are going to be playing live. They're going to surround us, me and the audience, and they are going to be part of the telling. So the musical experience and the voice coming up are all gonna be co creating the space
0: at right. the same time. Yeah. That's exciting. So it's
2: gonna I mean, be really exciting, yes.
0: Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. It sounds like that's uh it's it's the kind of it's the kind of work where everyone is everyone is a participant in this. Like anyone who's like within eye shot or earshot of it is is everyone. going to be participating in it. Yeah.
2: Yeah I, I You know, I was remarking with uh, the people that, that accompanied me last time to the, to the trip, uh, people from my, my group of uh, my community here, my brothers and sisters, how uh, mature the audience at the, at the Black Flame was, because, because the, your, your mind, your consciousness is part of the, of the food there, part of, part of what's present. Mm-hmm. And so, the the what the audience can do with the telling has pretty much to do with what's being created at the moment. So here, here we are with a group of uh, self-made uh, artists, uh, uh, philosophers, uh, magicians, and mm-hmm. sorcerers, and uh, each one with a deep sense of, uh, of self of freedom of uh, uh, of, cre- of force of creation uh, and that's an audience like no other mm-hmm. So I was very happy to be able to perform. I was not going to do a telling last time. Mm-hmm. usually to do a telling I have to secure the space uh, you know we clean it physically, psychically we prepare the audience we sit them and then I then I can perform. Uh, and this was very unorthodox because the same uh, stage had been used for other things. And people could come in and out, the space was open. So over the years I have said, yeah, no, I don't want to perform like that. If I can't control the, the, the atmosphere and the, and the stage, there's no sense in doing a sacred art like this. So last time I was just going to give a talk, but throughout the trip and during the day, I kept getting all these hints, right? Ah, do it, do it, do it. It's ready. These people are ready. These people. Mm-hmm. So that same day, I I, I told Susan, yeah, I, I'm going to do a telling, and she was oh my god, that's cool. She's she's seen them before. So we used the music of Coil, and and we went into it, and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. So, and it's because of the audience, it's mm-hmm. because of the audience that the space, this is an audience that knows when a space is clean when is banished what how to pay attention what to listen to mm-hmm. and so i was honored and i'm so so looking forward to it again
0: yeah no that's uh, i i resonate with a lot of of what you said there when i went to that festival last year i was similarly uh I was not sure at all what to expect. I had no idea what to expect from it, what it would be like. But uh, the unique uh, drawing together of, of people there, there was there is a, uh, uh, I don't know, a sense of the sacred. I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, a sense that certain kinds of work and certain kinds of activities are... Of a different quality, and that uh, yeah. you know, and of course, everyone reaches out to this and connects with that idea in their own in their own way. But yeah. um, at, 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 to to say simply that I share that uh, uh that that surprise, I guess that you're saying that you had there um, yeah. with it, and uh, yeah. So this is. I one, mean, I, I was on.
2: expecting more of the silly politics that permeate every group and every movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, either that, or the shameless self-promotion and all of that. Yeah. Instead, I find people like you, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> who I've never met, who has his own path, and and we can hang. You know, right. we can we can be together yeah. in co-created space. Yeah, absolutely. So I, think, I think that the people that were a good example of which direction we need to go.
0: Yeah. I agree, absolutely. So um, so what about okay, so what about Golden Flower? Um, we talked about that a little bit. So this is your new book. Mm-hmm. And, and- it,
2: well, it came out as a, the, the hard copy of the book. It's a limited edition. It's very artistically created. And, uh, and that one had already come out it had just come out last, last time. now it's been published by Gateways. As a a soft cover and and uh, and also in Kindle Uh, and very soon is gonna go out in in Spanish as well. So it's it's new as as a public uh, published uh, work.
0: And so it talks a lot about uh, dreaming right it deals with like dream work and and understanding yeah. and dreams and
2: is and, the path of, the path of mastery through dreaming is the path of uh, mastery of perception and awakening yeah excellent uh, through through the dreaming is pretty much divided in three parts there is a an es- exoteric, a mesoteric, and an es- uh, yes, exoteric, mesoteric, and esoteric. Yeah. A, a portion to the book. The the esoteric, the third part of the book. It, each part has six chapters, right? So in the first one, you get introduced to the concept of dreaming and some exercises to do with that. The second one, it's more magical, more shamanic. It's more for the Serious practitioner. The third one uh, is uh, consists of six tellings. Okay? So each one of those was uh, the transcription of a telling that, that I did years back, and uh, those are priceless. If if you can just read those out loud to yourself, uh, everything will change. <laughs>
0: awesome. Yeah. And you got a you got a podcast too, right? You're doing podcasting.
2: Um, I haven't been active for a while now. I I did a few of them, and I will come back to it. I think next month. I'm, okay. I'm going back to to uh, publishing on the podcast. Awesome. But yes, it's uh, there is the the telling uh, podcast, the telling by Coyote to the Blind.
0: Yes. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll put up links for all of these things on the uh, notes for the show here. um, And um, definitely want to encourage all of my listeners to get out to the Black Flame PDX Festival, which is, do you remember when it is? It's April...
2: I don't have the date. I just know it's in April.
0: (laughs) It's April 26th through the 28th. And if you go search for blackflamepdx.org you can find the website and you can get tickets to go to see really great presenters like coyote the blind here and i want to thank you coyote for taking the time to to speak with us today do you have any final thoughts for us
2: oh just uh, thank you my brother i look forward to seeing you there and everybody
0: there. absolutely man it's going to be awesome i'm really looking forward to it
2: Yes. I'll see you all there, and thank you for inviting me here.
0: This was fun. It was. We'll do it again.
2: 93, brother.
0: All right, thanks. Take care. If you dug the Black Flame Tarot, then you've got to have the Black Flame Tarot book. The Black Flame Tarot and Invocation of Fire guidebook for the Black Flame Tarot deck written by Jennifer and Paul McAtee with a foreword by Don Webb. The Black Flame Tarot is a magical working and a powerful tool for divination. This book explores different ways of working with the deck and also discusses the origins, ideas, and inspiration that have contributed to its creation. For people interested in the Tarot and left-hand path ideas, this book will help you maximize your personal growth Connect with your inner reality, and offer practical tips and techniques for problem-solving and making decisions in everyday situations. Visit lulu.com and search Black Flame Tarot now to get your copy. You will not regret it.